0: You're listening to City Church. Okay, okay, okay. I can tell you'd visit all day, so if everyone wants to grab a seat. (laughs) And as you're grabbing a seat, um, I would ask, as you came in, one side was handed some little cards that have a Galatians 5 passage. One side did not get those. So if you did not get a little card, would you raise your hand right now? It's going to help you here in the message. There we go. Okay, raise your hand, and the ushers will get those into your hands. All right, so obviously we're having a little trouble with projection, so we missed our little lead-in, the I Found Joy uh, video snippet. So, um, but if you're like me, it's been a wonderful series, and hopefully you remember that little snippet. But before we get into the last part of this uh, I Found Joy series, I just want to share a few things. One, as I, as I said in our prayer time, it, it is a real privilege for me to be here um, this morning. Um, grateful for all God's doing, and really, with all this going on elsewhere, really opened the door to be here with you this morning. As I was praying about that yesterday, praying for our time together um, I asked the Lord if there was a specific word He had, and I just want to read to you a, a little short section from first chapter of the Book of Philippians. Starting in verse three, it says, "I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion till the day of Christ Jesus." It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. I think the Lord highlighted that for me just uh, as an expression of my heart. Many of you I've not met, but at the same time you've been on my heart as one of the elders of City Church. And I prayed for you, even though I couldn't picture your face. The Lord knew who you were. And again, it's a privilege for me to be here because we all share in this grace of the gospel. And so that's my way of just highlighting that the Lord sees you. We pray for you even when we're not here with you. But I'm grateful for the relationship we have that is only because of Jesus. Before we open the word together, I think anytime someone stands up here and has the awesome privilege to bring God's word to you, you need to know a little bit about that person. So some of you know a little bit. Some of you don't know much at all. Um, so I just want to give you a brief uh, overview of what brought us here. Um, my wife and I grew up in Washington State. Deb's in the back row there. Deb, wave your hand. Okay. This is my better half, my wonderful ministry and life partner, and uh, her smile still melts my heart. So um, I did good with that, didn't I? Okay. All right. Yay. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That was not rehearsed, by the way, okay. <laughs> um, Deb and I met over 30 years ago in healthcare. Um, I'm a pharmacist, Deb's a medical assistant, and it originally was her voice that melted my heart because she was phoning in prescriptions where I worked. Um, so we worked uh, in healthcare. We dated about a year and a half and got married, lived many of the years after that uh, in Montana, um, but about a little over 15 years of working in healthcare, uh, God threw a curveball at us and called us out of that. We walked away from everything, and I went back to seminary, and then pastored churches as lead pastor for over 10 years, uh, first in Montana, then in Honolulu, Hawaii. And I don't expect much sympathy for that. <laughs> um, you know, somebody's got to suffer for Jesus in the Hawaiian <laughs> Islands, and that was us. So. Um, Then about, uh, I guess, seven years ago now, uh, God continued our journey and called us uh, out of that into full-time mission work with a group called Youth with a Mission. Uh, YWAM is an organization of over 25,000 full-time missionaries around the world. And our heart is to provide pastoral care uh, to many of them that work in very difficult places. Um, and don't have many people there to really encourage them. So, so Deb and I, that's taken us all over the world to over 50 countries in seven years. And more and more of our work now is concentrated from Africa. We were just in South Africa last month um, through the Middle East and Central Asia to India. So we moved from Hawaii to the East Coast, to be a little bit closer. But we also knew God brought us here for something local. We didn't know, but that was City Church, and uh, we're very glad to be here. But our focus in our global ministry, as well as what we do, certainly in the eldership, our heart is to help people stay focused on where your hope lies, really. Where your hope lies, and I constantly on eternity, which is a nice transition, I think, then out of our story to your story. Because the question I would ask you today is, is really, where, where do you place your hope? Where do you place your hope? Um, I've got some, um, I see some faces that were in New Haven, Uh, when I used this little example before. Um, But I've got a rope here that I'm going to use as an illustration in a moment. But to lead into it, I just want to do the quick recap of what the last three weeks have looked like in this series. In week one, it was an important kind of foundational piece as we learned that treasuring and trusting in Jesus really is the foundation of our joy. Remember that? Then we went into the second week and we talked about the fact that We grow our joy by growing our hope. And then last week, another important message is we talked a little bit about how trials and challenges in life open a doorway to greater joy. Is all this ringing a bell? Okay, it's good to go back, and I encourage you, even after today, go back again and revisit these things. Now, if all that's true, and I really believe in my heart it is, then what's critical to us is where we place our hope. That's critical to living this joy-filled life. Now, I want you to picture uh, this rope here. Uh, It goes out through the door here. I want you to picture it goes out the side door, makes several laps around the world, and goes off into outer space. It goes on forever. This is a timeline. I want you to picture this rope as a timeline of your life. It's your existence. It goes on forever. Now, on the rope, I want you to notice this little red part. This little red part represents your time here on earth. It goes very quickly, and then we have a whole lot else that goes out into forever. This is your timeline here. This is eternity. And what constantly kind of surprises me and at times really blows me away is that for some people, and maybe some of you today, All you think about is this little red part. How are you going to save, save, save? How am I going to experience the things right here that I want to experience? My toys that I want to buy, the places I want to go. Can I travel? Can I eat well? All we tend to do is think about this little part. Now, if it's true that this long part is eternity, then I guess my question is, shouldn't how we live our life here reflect our eternal values that we talk about. I think we'd all agree with that. Because the Bible teaches that what we do here has a huge impact on what goes on way out here. Now, sometimes people have looked at the decisions I've made, you heard a little of our life story, and they say, you're crazy, why would you do that? Because what you decided to do here is going to impact you right here. And I turned to them and I said, no, you're crazy because what we've done here and here is going to impact all of this. Where you place your hope really has a lot to do with how you walk out your journey. So let's pray for that. Let's pray that God will speak to us through the word today. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's see if he can't have his way with our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. What happens in these moments isn't dependent on whether the projection system is working. Uh, It's really just the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. And so we acknowledge that right now, and we pray that you open our hearts. And I pray especially for those that may be here that uh, maybe this is all brand new to them. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me communicate in a way, and your word would penetrate their heart in a way that they can see your affection, your constant care, and you're seeing them day to day. You care about their life, and I pray they can sense that now. Speak to us, Lord, not my words, but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you watch any TV at all, you know that reality TV shows have become absolutely huge. And these shows all trace their roots back into the late 80s and the early 90s, when shows like Cops, MTV's The Real World hit the scene. And then that whole thing really gained momentum when Survivor came out in 2000. CBS multiplied the success of that show with The Amazing Race and Big Brother. MTV followed with The Osbournes. NBC, yeah, there's a, oh, it gets worse, it gets worse. NBC didn't want to be left out. The Apprentice, Biggest Loser, Fear Factor, all NBC products. And then Fox launched the hugely successful American Idol. Not to be outdone, NBC came out with The Voice. Cable TV got involved. They came out with shows like Dog the Bounty Hunter, Growing Up Gaudy, Trading Spaces, Miami Inc. I even found one called My Big Fat Disgusting Fiance. Okay, <laughs> Just incredible, incredible stuff, really. Hundreds of TV shows, reality TV shows out there today. You'll recognize these, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. The Apprentice, Duck Dynasty, Cape Boss, America's Got Talent. I can tell you all have your favorites in here. The Amazing Rays, Jersey Shore, Dancing with the Stars, So You Think You Can Dance, Top Chef, Shark Tank, Deadliest Catch, The Real, <laughs> right, The Real Housewives of You Fill in the Blank. <laughs> and everybody's favorite, here comes Honey Boo Boo, okay? <laughs> So I could take up the entire service just naming these. This is just a little bit of it. A couple of the ones I found even more unusual. Please don't tell me any of these are your favorite. Danilla Ice Goes Amish. <laughs> Naked and Afraid. And I Cloned My Pet. Okay, just incredible kind of things out there today. Now, how many of you have seen the uh, reality show Extreme Makeover? okay. Yep, a number of you. Now the original started back in 2002, later surpassed by maybe what more of you are familiar with, which was Extreme Makeover Home Edition. But the original Extreme Makeover depicted real life people, men and women, who would undergo this total transformation, an extreme makeover, remember that? I mean, it involved plastic surgery and exercise, hairdressing, wardrobing, everything, and the episode would conclude with the individuals returned to their families and friends and showed the reaction of their loved ones. Now, thousands of people applied for those shows, trying to get on the show to be injected or trimmed or enhanced and augmented, nip, tuck, liposuct, everything they would do, all for the purpose of trying to change their appearance. And this idea of a physical transformation, it captured the heart of America, became a huge show. Now, why do, we, why do we get engaged? Why are we kind of caught up in that kind of stuff? Why do we like it? Well, I think it's the visual. We get to see a change. We see the before. We see the after. We think it gives us hope. But I think that this whole extreme makeover concept just scratches the surface of something that's much deeper within us. We want to be different people. We want to be better. We want to feel good. We want fulfillment. But in our culture... What we do when we want to be better is we tend to change the outside as opposed to the inside. Okay, that's our tendency. We want to be better, so let's take care of all the external stuff. Now, I think we have probably all watched these shows, and it can be easy for us to point at these people who have gone through this kind of outer transformation and poke fun at them. But as soon as we do that, I think we ought to ask ourselves, what do I do to make myself feel better about myself? Now, some go shopping, some drink, some exercise, some drown themselves in TV or video games or Facebook, some work too much, some eat. I think mine used to be working too much. I've kind of grown out of that, thank goodness. Um, But these days, it, it probably would be eating for the wrong reasons, eating too much. Sometimes after a real stressful day, I just convince myself that what I really need is some carbs, okay? So I drive right past the organic food market straight to Cold Stone, right? I, the ice cream is what's going to really make my day. Now, I'm not alone in this, right? Or any Or you're, you're identifying with something in your life. But the bottom line is it really doesn't matter if it's bot, Botox or if it's Hagen What we're pursuing is to feel better. And these outer makeovers, these feel-betters, they just don't fully satisfy. They gratify for a short period of time. But the outer makeover, the eating, the the better house, the car, whatever it is you're trying to change in your external world feels good for a little bit, but it won't satisfy in the long run. What we reach for for hope, it doesn't last. I remember watching one of those extreme makeover shows. I watched this woman, had her whole outer world transformed, and I thought, you know, at the end of the day, she's still the same person inside. Her inner world hadn't changed at all. And it's your inner world that determines how you live. It's how you give and receive love. It's how you relate with people, all the decisions you make. So buy the toys, change your outer world. But at the end of the day, you've still got your inner world to deal with. So that's why I want to get really practical today. And I want us to look at God's extreme makeover. It's much more radical, more life-changing, and it really has the potential to make you a more attractive person without even dealing with anything in the outer. So I want you to see God has a picture. He has a plan for an attractive life, a very attractive life. And while you and I want to be better, there's nothing better with, or wrong with that. We want to be better because God wired us to be better, to make us more like his son. And he gave us a road to walk down to do that. And as we've been talking about for weeks, it's a road that's filled with joy. It's a life that becomes so attractive, others see it, and they say, what is it about you? What's different? I want that in my life. Now, this morning, we're going to look at this makeover idea. We're going to talk about the picture of the makeover, the problem, and then perhaps most importantly, the plan or how we can practically live it out. All of this is found in a single chapter that we're going to look at, and it's in Galatians 5 I'm assuming the projection is not going to work. So if you've got your Bible, turn there or make some notes so you can go back to the verses later. Um, But Galatians 5, I want to begin in verse 22. It says, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here, there's no conflict with the law. Now, let me explain. First of all, that that last phrase might be kind of confusing, no conflict with the law. What the Apostle Paul was was doing was writing this church and saying, you're spending all your time focusing on the law. We would call it the Old Testament. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament. And then add to that hundreds of man-made traditions that they had put on top of it. And Paul's saying, you know, you're focusing on, on all that, but here's what really matters. Love, joy, peace, patience. He gives a list of the things that are most important. And he says, none of these things are going to offend your laws. Let's focus on what really, really matters. Now, I want you to see God's picture of this extreme makeover, okay? And that's the reason I wanted you to have that little card that we handed out or you got as you came in the door this morning. I want you to take this out. On one side, we have the verses I just read on the back, but I want you to flip to the other side and look at these nine fruit, love, joy, peace, next line, patience, kindness, goodness, okay? And as I look at that picture, I think of a couple questions. The first one is, which of those don't you want in your life? I can't imagine anybody sitting here going, you know, Roger, be honest, I don't want self-control, I pretty much like my life of gluttony, debauchery, total self-destruction It's really good for my family, okay? I, I can't imagine that. And then it makes me think this. How many of you could use at least three of these in your life right now? Three that you know are not present. So we're gonna pause for a moment. I want you to grab a pencil, a pen, your lipstick, anything you have, okay? And I want you to circle three that you feel like you need in your life the most right now. So take a moment. I'm going to pause right here. I'm going to be looking around, seeing if you're writing, okay? It's like a reality TV show. We're engaging together here, okay? So go ahead and do that. So what I want you to see is these nine fruit. This is God's picture of an extreme makeover. What the world offers can't compare. Call up any plastic surgeon in Connecticut. They can't provide these at any price. Now, here's the point God's picture of what you can be cannot be purchased. It's free, can't be bought, can't be earned, can't be manufactured. It's free when you allow God's Spirit to invade your life. We've been in the series, I Found Joy. Today's talk could be called God's Extreme Makeover. It's free. And it's not just joy. As you look at the list, there's eight other fruit in here that can be part of your life and should be part of your life. And it's free when God's spirit is part of our life. As soon as I say that, some of you are sitting there saying, you know, if all nine of these are available to me free, how come when I look at my life, when I do a self-inventory, these fruit of God's spirit are absent? Why am I not producing all these in my life? And I think that's the right question. It's a good question. And it leads us to now the problem, which is in verse 17 of the same chapter, Galatians 5. So let me read that to you. The old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just opposite to what the Holy Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. So if you're not producing the fruit of God's Spirit, there's a couple possibilities. The first one is maybe God's Spirit isn't in you. Maybe even though it's free and God wants this for you, he wants to invade your life with this, maybe you've never believed and received him into your life. And because of that, you're not producing this fruit. Now, if you're here today and you have believed and received, then the Scripture says in these verses there's this conflict going on that many times especially left on our own our tendency is to satisfy this old sinful nature and it happens every day throughout the day just fictitious example let's say today you leave the church you're driving away from the church and you see somebody at the side of the road their hood's up you know there's a problem no doubt about it and now you're faced with a decision you could stop In pulling over, you could actually display all nine of these fruit in in one stop. I can go God's route. Or what often happens? All of a sudden, we begin thinking about many things. Oh, you know, I've I've got to get to lunch. I'm so hungry, and my friends are going to be waiting there for me. So many people leaving church. Somebody else is going to stop. Okay, that's what's going on. But then we begin to justify it by saying, I'm in this lane. It's so dangerous to get over there. I shouldn't do that. I'm putting somebody in jeopardy. I shouldn't. And what do we do? We talk ourselves out of it. We're convinced somebody else is going to help, so we don't. We drive on. Totally fictitious. I know this never happens. But it's an illustration of how God's way and our old sinful nature collide. That's the problem. And the verses in Galatians 5 say there's other kinds of fruit reflected in this internal ugliness. We can call them the bitter fruit of the selfish spirit. Here's what the Bible has to say, starting down in verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, in other words, I'm not going to go God's route, I'm going to go with my sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone's wrong except your own little group, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Now some of you listen to that and you go, wow, you just described my family. (laughs) (laughs) or maybe you're thinking those are the chapter titles in my autobiography, right? Okay, we can read that and identify with that, but it's just a graphic picture of what happens if I don't let God's spirit to control my life. You know what I'm capable of in my own life when I don't allow God's spirit to control my life? I'm capable of me, and some of that stuff inside is not pretty. Sinful thoughts that come up, things that come to mind that I don't want to do or things that I do want to do. It can be an ugly place. Now, if I can be transparent, now let's talk about you. Okay, You probably are capable of some ugly things too. We all have this conflict going on inside, and that's why we all need this inner makeover. But the good news is we don't have to stay at this problem stage if we don't want to. We can move on to the most important application piece for us, Today, and that's the plan. And it's a great plan. It's a great plan because it's God's plan. Verse 16, same chapter, says this. So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Down to verse 25. If we're living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So there's the plan. What I want to do is unpack that, and let's, let's make it practical. I, I want to give you, in a way you can remember, A, B, C, okay? I want you to apply these steps, memorize these steps, going to try and make it easy to remember. Let's talk about how we can help God's extreme makeover get started in our life. So literally, A, the A, we start here, act as if God has given you these gifts, Act as if God's given you this fruit of the Spirit, because if you have a relationship with God and he's filled you with his Spirit, then love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, it's all available to you. So what that means is I can go through life and I can see love produced in my life like I've never experienced before. What that means is that I can have greater joy in the midst of the chaos that I seem to walk through in life that in the fast-paced kind of society we're living in with all the to-do lists and all the pressures, I can have peace in the midst of what I'm going through. Act as if. Because if what God says is true, that we receive his spirit when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that God's spirit can produce this fruit in us, then we can assist the makeover if we act as if those fruit have been given. Now, I'm going to lose some of you on this acting part. In fact, already in your mind, a few of you are debating me on this. So hang with me for a few minutes. Let me try to explain what I'm trying to say. When I was 10 years old, my dad allowed me to drive his car. We had a Ford Mustang. It's a nice car. Okay? He would let me drive the car. Not alone. He was in the car. And not only was he in the car, he was at the wheel, and I was sitting on his lap. Okay? Anyone else do this growing up? Okay? Okay, sit on your lap and drive. I would be on my dad's lap, and I'd drive the car with him. Now, was I really driving? No, no, I wasn't driving. I'd sit on his lap. Once in a while, he'd let me take the wheel, and just for a few seconds, he'd let go, and I felt like I was driving, becoming more natural to me. He was cultivating what it would be like to be a driver, and my dad's presence there was producing me a driver. I was acting as if. Now, let's get into your own home and use an example. Let's imagine there's a neighbor on your street that you don't like. I know, again, pure fantasy, but just go with me in the story, okay? Um, a neighbor you don't like. Now, the neighbor knows you go to city church because you participated in an I Heart Bridgeport project or you host a community group. Somehow or another, they know that you go to church. Now, you look at these, this list, these fruits of the Spirit, and one of them says kindness. But you don't feel any kind of kindness for this neighbor. You don't want to express kindness. So what I'm saying is you act as if you were kind. It may not feel natural to you. Because what's natural if we don't like our neighbor? Okay, we might want to drive on his lawn or egg his house or you know, (laughs) put a for sale sign, order pizza, have it delivered. At least I'm told that's what people want to do. I I don't know, But, but what I do is I move in the opposite spirit to what i'm feeling i act as if i'm kind and as i take these steps i'm doing the possible and god's spirit begins to do the impossible and with those acts he begins to mold me and shape me and eventually it becomes kind of a natural reflection of god's spirit in me does that make sense deb and i in our first ministry in montana we had a couple that just constantly seemed to make life difficult for us. They had a complaint. They had a gripe. We just, we couldn't do anything right. And I felt anything but kindness towards them, coldness maybe, but and especially if it affected my wife, I would see how it would affect her, and it was just really hard. But I knew that one of the fruit of God's spirit in the midst of all this thing was kindness. So I decided I needed to act as if I could actually be kind to them. And I found as I did that and I practiced kindness, even when they would come back with something, slowly it became natural to show kindness to a couple that really were very, very difficult. So you just do it and God will do the work inside. Now the bee, at the same time I'm acting as if God has given me these fruit, I believe, the bee, believe God is the only source of a true makeover. Okay, because if I don't believe God's the only source, then the age just becomes an act. We'll just continue to act, okay? But if I believe that these steps I'm taking, that God is the only source of this, he will empower me and he will help me to keep making the steps. But if you don't do that until that happens, here's what will happen. You'll keep looking in your outer world to make change instead of letting God change your inner world. I recently heard a joke about a guy who had retired. He'd lived in Minnesota, and he moved to Florida. He was living this wonderful retired American dream, laying out in the sun, going to the beach, exercising, lived in Florida for six months, then he died. So they shipped his body back to Minnesota, had a funeral, opened caskets. Some of his friends came, and one guy looked in the casket, sees Fred laying there all toned and tanned, and he says, whoa. Florida did Fred some good. Now think about the implication of that. Okay, here's the point. Fred had a Florida makeover, right? He looked good, but he was still dead. You can believe Florida is the source. You can believe surgery is the answer. A better spouse is going to solve your problem, a better home, a different job, whatever it is. But once you get it and don't have God's spirit, you're still dead inside. And love, joy, peace, patience, all these fruit won't be a part of your life. Now, Jesus tells us he is the source of this kind of makeover. It's in John 15. Love these verses. John 15, starting in verse 4. Jesus said, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you can't be fruitful apart from me. Yes, I am the vine, you're the branches, those who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, what does he say? You can do nothing. Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you're the branch, I'm the only source that can help you to produce this kind of fruit. So you need to make a decision today. Either that's true or Jesus is lying to us. Which causes me to ask and for you to reflect, what vine are you connected to? Because we're all connected to some vine. Are you connected to the vine of Christ or are you connected to the vine of the world? Because no matter what, we're all producing fruit reflective of which vine we're currently connected to. The question is, what kind of fruit? If you're connected through the world, well, then you're going to address that selfish nature. Or if you're going to produce God's fruit, you need to continually be connected. To the fruit of Jesus, or to the vine of Jesus, the Spirit of God, I'm acting as if I've been given these fruit, and I'm believing God is the source for the makeover. But then we got to get the C in here. The C, ultimately, I would choose God's way. See, choose God's way at every encounter. Now, this isn't easy. As a matter of fact, if you've grown up in the church, you've been around the church for a while. This is what we mean when we say live by the Spirit walking in the spirit. I'm choosing God's way at every encounter. That's what it means to mature in Christ, that it it eventually becomes this thing where it's not even a conscious decision. We just understand what we're to do. It becomes more and more natural, and it makes you more and more attractive. People are intrigued by what makes you tick. Now, I think a lot of people don't choose God's way because, frankly, they just don't know God's way. Okay, makes sense, doesn't it? you don't choose it because you don't know. If I go to a restaurant and I sit down and the, the waiter comes and says, what do you want? And I don't know what's on the menu. Okay. I'm going to say, I don't know. I don't know what you've got. I can't choose till I know what you've got. Okay. So what I want to challenge you to do is to memorize Galatians 5. You can pull that card out again. Galatians 5, 23. Okay. If if I did a quick survey, I would guess maybe 10, 15% of us in here could right now just boom, 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 list all nine through the Spirit. Okay? I see a couple of you raising your hand. There we go. Okay. But no, I think to be able to really apply this and know what your choices are, you've got to memorize this. And already you're saying, I can't memorize. But why should I memorize? Well, because it begins to be a filter. It's a filter in your mind. It begins to come out in your vocabulary, seeps into your heart. And pretty soon you find that you're making the right choices, okay? Some of you, again, you're just convinced you, you can't memorize anything. I, I know because I talk to many people who say that. But when we think about all the useless information we've memorized, all of us have, we can do this. I mean, guys, what station is ESPN on your, on your TV? Okay? Yeah, you know, okay? If I say what channel uh, Fox, you know that. Okay? Ladies, you're you're not exempt to this. You know, you've memorized all kinds of recipes or the sales dates at Macy's or, I don't know, (laughs) there's something that you've memorized. And when I think about my own mind, which is kind of a scary place, I think of all the useless stuff that I've memorized. When I was a kid, McDonald's had a jingle about the Big Mac. Okay? I memorized it. You know it. Some of you know it. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun... Okay, this is 40 years ago. Any of you remember this thing? Okay, yeah, good. I'm not the only one that old. Okay, um, but totally useless information. I've never used it, but I've never forgotten it. Okay, and when I go to McDonald's and, and I want a Big Mac, I don't walk up to the window and say, "Yeah, oh, give me two all-beef patties, special sauce." But you know, I don't do that. I just say, "Give me a Big Mac." Now. I'm suggesting to you that if you will memorize God's word and it's in your head and it comes out your vocabulary, uh, you'll find that it'll seep into your heart and pretty soon it seeps into your actions because every day we're forced with decisions we've got to make and it begins to be easier to choose God's way when you know what's available. If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.